Matthew chapter 9, 14 through 17. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you have a message today burning on your heart. I pray, God, that you would speak. I pray that you would speak past our, our minds to our hearts, past our theology to our identity. And, Father, that you would set people free in this place today. Father, please, open our eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you more clearly and that we would see ourselves and what you have done for us more clearly. We give you praise and we give you thanks for it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. So we are doing a series on the values of City Church. We last, last week was Come As You Are, and we talked about grace. The grace of God comes to us where we are, that Jesus is not put off by sinners or by sin. He, he has come. He's left the 99. He is seeking after that one that is blind, that is in darkness, that is lost, that is maybe doing things that are shameful, and he comes right in the midst of that and says, I love you. I died for you. And I'm inviting you to follow me, to come out of that. And we saw, secondly, that grace enables us to own our sickness. The human race has got a disease called sin. It is a fatal disease. And it's, it's hard for the pride of man to recognize, I'm, I'm sick, I'm sick, and it's very, very serious. Sin is not a small thing. It is fatal. It, it leads not just to physical death, but eternal death. And it's grace that enables us to, to own that. I, I am a sinner. And then it's also grace that is able, makes us able to own God's solution for sin, which was Jesus Christ 
shedding his blood, dying on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven. We could be washed. We could be cleansed and have a right relationship with God. And if that, if that was all the gospel did for us, folks, if that was all the gospel did, if, if all the gospel did is take a sinner and say, you are now forgiven, and when you die, you are going to go to heaven, and you're going to have eternal life. If that was the entire gospel, and that's all the gospel did, I would, I would rejoice in that. It would be way more than we deserve. It would be gracious. It would be merciful. And for many, for many, that's all the gospel has been, is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner that has now been forgiven, and thank God one day I'm going to go to heaven. And we're just kind of waiting. <laughs> we're just waiting for heaven. Got to get through it down here. Keep sinning, keep asking for forgiveness, keep coming to church, kind of like the, the cycle. It's good on Sunday, it gets worse on Monday, worse, worse, worse. Maybe come on Tuesday night, get a little bump. Worse, 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 get back here on Sunday, worse. And it's just kind of this cycle, and we're just holding on until Jesus comes back. Come quickly, Lord. Please, come quickly. I just need to stay saved long enough for him to come. In the gospel, God gives us something more. Our connection with God gives us something more than just being forgiven sinners. Grace gives us a new identity. That's what I want to talk about today, the new identity. So the Pharisees say, why, why aren't your disciples fasting? We're fasting. John the Baptist's disciples are still fasting. Why, why aren't your disciples fasting the same way that we are? And Jesus says, there's, there's a change. There's a change coming. A day will come when they will fast, but it will be for completely different reasons than you are fasting now. It'll be in a different way than you are now. There is a change that is coming. Right now, the bridegroom is here. But when he leaves, he's the bridegroom. When he leaves, there's going to be a change in covenant, There's going to be a change, if you will, in wineskin. When Jesus says, uh, uses this terminology, wineskin, just so that we, we understand uh, what, the, what the picture is. A wineskin is a picture of human beings. 
Wine is a picture all the way through the New Testament of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the wine, and human beings are the wineskin. And so there's going to be a change. There was an old wineskin, and now there's going to be a new wineskin. And I want to I talk for a moment about the old wineskin and what was wrong with it. The old covenant or the old agreement that God had made with human beings was based on their performance. You maybe most clearly see it in Deuteronomy 28 where God gives all of the commands and if you obey my commands, here will be all the blessings. And there are a whole chapter of blessings that will come if you obey my commands. Well, the other part of that performance is if you disobey, here's what's going to happen. Instead of getting my blessing, you're going to get my punishment. And where there was one page of blessings, there's like two pages of punishments. And the old wineskin, we were human beings, blessed if we perform well, and judged if we perform poorly. And that is the old covenant. And you read it sometime, and here's what you will find. You'll be shocked, if, especially if it's the first time. It's like, oh my, this is a disaster. <laughs> People are constantly being judged. God is always angry, it seems like. And bad things are happening, and people are going into captivity, and, and even in captivity, they're doing horrible things. And, and this is, it's not working. The wine of the Holy Spirit that was, that was able to, to be poured out on those old wineskins was extremely limited. The Holy Spirit could come on three people, the king, the prophet, and the priest, but only came on people, could never live in people, and always in a very limited time. He would come on people, these three offices, for a function, but would not remain. God explained to Moses why that was. Moses was like, we want you close. We want your presence. What else will distinguish us from other people except your presence? And God says, listen, if I come too close, my holiness is going to end up breaking out on your unholiness, and it's going to cause damage. And of course, if you read the Old Testament, that's what happened. If God got too close, people started dying. Who is this God? So Jesus says, we're going to make a new, a new wineskin. Jesus was going to change how the human race relates to God. Good John chapter 8, 
35 and 36. And I hate to say this because they might not have this verse up there. That's what we have. That's John 8, 35 and 36. I will read it to you. I'll just read it to you. Jesus says these words. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says that whoever sins is is the slave of sin. The whole Roman Empire, 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. So it, it was very familiar to them, this language about the slave. The reason why the slave doesn't stay with a family forever is because they are there only for performance. They're there for a duty that they do. As soon as a slave can't do the duty that they're there for, you just get rid of, you, there's no loyalty to the slave. You get rid of that slave and you get somebody else. That's why they're there. They're there to perform a function. They're there for performance. They don't, they know that. They know uh, we're not permanently in this house. We're here as long as we can do that. We're expendable. And it's the bondage of performance. It's the bondage of fear. I have to keep performing or I will lose my spot. It's entirely fear-based. It's based on insecurity. And then Jesus says, but the son has a permanent place in the house. So who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Jesus came to set us free from our bad performance. He came to set us free from the whole idea of performing to be accepted. The way Jesus sets us free is by making us sons and daughters of God. I'm going to read Romans 8, 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus came, he died on the cross, he, he shed his blood, he took God's punishment, God's holy punishment on sin so that he could give us his relationship with the Father as a gift, or rather that the Father could give the relationship of Jesus to us as a gift, that he was going to adopt us into the family based on Christ's righteousness. 
we were going to, instead of work for acceptance, we were going to start with acceptance. We were going to start secure. We were going to be adopted. We were going to give in this place, and then we were going to live from sonship. We were going to live not from fear, but from this sense of favor, this sense of lovedness, of acceptance, and we were going to live in Christ as the beloved, as the favored, even as Jesus lived. It's a new... Jesus came to give a new view of God. Here's how, here's, here's how I can explain this. My dad was a very stern man. He believed in responsibility. He grew up in the Depression. He believed in hard work. He believed you earned your keep. He, he was very, very strong. And um, he, he set up this system that we would learn the value of work. And we all had assignments and we got an allowance for completing our assignments. And, um, but it was, it was never a given that you were going to get paid that allowance. You, you, your, your work was inspected. Your work was looked over. Jimmy and I, our job was to take the trash out to the trash area. And then, and then once a week that the, take the trash cans out to the curb. And then we were to get the trash cans off the curb after it was picked up and bring it back to the trash area and um, Sunday afternoon was the day of reckoning that's when that's when we were we got a quarter a week we got a one quarter a week and that was the day of reckoning and um, we, we would be around we would be, it would be lunch and it was funny because dad never brought up the allowance we always had to bring it up We've been waiting all week. We, we, we would take that quarter and we would run through the woods to, to stop and go. And we, would, we, we spent that quarter before Sunday afternoon was done, usually. But Jimmy and I thought about that quarter. And uh, Sunday afternoon, Dad, it, Dad, it's time for our allowance. Okay, he's already unhappy. Hmm. <laughs> Huh. Well, I guess we better see whether you get it or not. He'd, he'd get up from the, you know, you'd think he'd just give you a quarter. Nope. Get up, he'd walk outside to the trash area. And I, I, I don't remember a time that dad didn't find something wrong with the trash area. You know, you need a, there's a cigarette butt there. Pick that up. There's, uh, that can's not straight. And he'd, and we would just be, yes, sir, yes, sir. Because we know the quarter is on the line right now. <laughs> and then dad would reach into his pocket and pull that thing out. Hand it. And... <laughs> and we just knew that. We knew that about dad. We knew that you didn't cross him. He was a very strong personality. We saw something different in our dad at Christmas. Interesting. Same, 
same person. But on Christmas, dad was filled with laughter and he was filled with a smile and he was excited about us and he was excited about the gifts. What was going on? Where, where dad was tight all year, generosity was the mark of Christmas. Generosity was just extravagant, extravagance, probably beyond our means. What happened? What happened to dad? Same person, but it was a different occasion. One was about responsibility. One was about his love for his children and his generosity. Same person, but a different occasion. God had to teach the human race who he is. Everybody wants to know, why didn't he just go right to the new covenant? Why couldn't we get right to the, the, the good side? You couldn't even understand the good side until you understand the holiness of God. Yeah. You can't understand the cross until you understand God is holy. On the cross, we see both sides of God at the very same time. We see how holy he is that Jesus had to die. And we see how filled with love he is. That the reason why Jesus died was for you and me. He has made a new wineskin, a new occasion that can highlight now his great love and generosity. I want, I want you to hear Acts chapter 2. Verses 17 and 18, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. What I want you to see is a father who has been restrained from pouring out who he is and what is in his heart for his children because of a covenant whereby he, could, he had to stay by that covenant which was based on performance. And God himself is longing for the day. In the last days, I'm changing up covenants. And in this new covenant... I am going to be free to pour out my spirit, to pour out this, this precious, holy presence of God. I'm not going to be limited to a few old men that are kings and priests and prophets and, and only be able to be with them a little and give a little taste of my goodness. I'm making a new covenant where it can be for everybody, men, women, 
sons, daughters, children. I can come with no fear of destroying them because of the covenant that I'm making. I'm going to make a different wineskin that can hold this wine. And I can pour out my spirit. I can pour it out as much as I want. And it will, it will, it will flow over. They will, it will not just pour into them and make them something. It will, it will, they will prophesy. They will, it will pour out of them. They will, they will overflow. They will speak out of this. They will, uh, my presence is going to be released through this wineskin, through these people. And there's going to be this outpouring of my grace. So God has changed the occasion to gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God views the human race now through the gift that he wants to give them. He views us through Christ, no. It's the gift system. So we, we were down at one thing, Kansas City, and Todd White spoke, and um, I've, I've heard Todd speak many times. One time we had him here. He was live and in person, Todd White. Here's the funny thing about Todd White. You can YouTube him and watch any. Uh, Todd never prepares a sermon. He never has notes that he brings up. And here's why. He only has one sermon. You can watch Todd White a hundred times and you'll realize something after a while. He's only got one sermon. It's on the new wineskin. It's on being a favored son and daughter. It's all about identity. He calls it the one-step program. He is absolutely convinced that if you understand your identity in Christ, if you understand that Jesus saved you from sin and from all of sin's companions, guilt, fear, and shame, that you can live as a favored son, a favored daughter every single day and not go back to guilt, shame, and performance and all that stuff. And he has lived for nine years now, he's lived this supernatural life. I, I, I think he's a sign and wonder. Wherever he goes, the river of God just flows out of him. He's, he, he has the most dramatic healing testimonies, but what's powerful about them is that they're, they're, always, they're always 24 to 48 hours old. I mean, it's, it's not something that happened 10 years ago. This happened in the hotel on my way before I got here. It's God pouring out, pouring out through this new identity. And so he was, he was talking about the, the identity and and he says, Romans 5 shows us the basis of the new identity. Romans 5, 17 says that those who have received of the gift of righteousness, the gift of right standing with God, 
and of the abundance of grace, the, the overflowing generosity of grace, they will reign in this life. Not, not in the life to come, but in this life. They will, th- those that understand what this gift of righteousness gives and, and experience this abundance of grace will not live under their circumstances. They will live over them. They will be in a position over them. And he said, he said, what happens if you grab a hold of your righteousness? You will live sonship conscious. If you don't grab a hold of it, even though you're a born-again believer, even though you love Jesus, you will still live conscious of your sin, and you'll still live conscious of fear, guilt, and shame. And so he, Romans 5 lays the basis for it. Romans 6 shows you the secret of how to live it out. That you have to identify yourself with Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. You have to reckon yourself dead to the old man and alive to Christ's resurrection life. And that this is the secret of how the new man flourishes. You have to realize it's about identity. I am dead with Christ to the old man. I don't have to live in the old man anymore. And I am alive in his new life. Romans 7 tells the story, frankly, of most Christians. It tells the story of that person who, even though they're born again, is not living out of the new, the new man. They're still living under the old. Their, their inward man rejoices with the law of God, but they find another principle working in their flesh, their sin, and the things they want to do, they're not doing. Things they don't want to do, they are doing. And it's this cycle of failure, failure, confess, failure, confess, failure. Romans 7 ends with this, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in chapter 8, it starts with this, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then he gives the victorious Christian life, Romans 8 through 16, of how to live the victorious Christian life. In, in a word, because that's a lot of theology, in a word, let me, let me tell you the difference between Romans 7 and Romans 8. In Romans 7, 6 to Romans 7, 25, the personal pronouns, I, my, and me, are listed over 40 times. It is a Christianity that is focused on me. Romans 8, 1 through 16, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 16 times in 16 verses. Victorious, the victorious Christian life is lived with a focus not on the wineskin, but on the new wine that's filling us. It's focused on the Spirit's power. It is God's desire to pour out His Spirit. And I can live as a favored son and daughter in the Spirit. I can live in His resurrected life. The sign of the old covenant, the performance covenant, 
Hebrews 10.1, is that it still leaves you conscious of sin. The mark of the new covenant is that it leaves you conscious of your sonship. It's no longer I. It's no longer me, 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 me. It's us. It's the Holy Spirit in me. So the problem then is this, is this new, the, 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 the difficulty of renewing our minds. Romans 12, 2 says that to be transformed, don't be conformed to this world and this world's thinking, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Our minds need to catch up with the new birth. Our minds need to agree with God, agree with what God has done, agree with who we are. Or you're not going to live in the fullness of it. Well, it's very hard for our minds to make that shift. Our minds are very programmed for performance. I was preaching on this a few years ago, and I called my friends, uh, Kevin and Tammy Sorensen in Minnesota, because we, we were, they, they were in our church when, when we were pastoring there. And while we were there, they had adopted three children from Guatemala. And, uh, and they came out of the poorest orphanage the most difficult circumstances. And Kevin and Tammy went down there and personally chose these three. They were all in one family. Personally chose them and adopted them and brought them back to live in their house. So positionally, they're no longer orphans. They're in a family. They're adopted. Positionally, everything that Kevin and Tammy have belongs to them. But I remember when they first came, it was very difficult for them because in their minds, they were still orphans. And so what they would do, all three of them, is they would, they would at, at dinner, they would eat, and then they would hide they would, they would put some food in their napkin and hide it. And Tammy would find food hidden all over the house. And every time she found it, she would sit down with the kids and she would try to explain to them, listen, your dad, Kevin was a banker. Kevin owned banks. Your, your dad is wealthy. There is resources. You can't even think of what those resources are, but here's all you need to know for now. Food's never going to be a problem when you're here. There's always going to be enough to eat. You don't have to live in fear anymore. And you want to know the funny thing? They would nod their head, and the next meal, they'd hide food again. <laughs> Why is that? See, when you've lived like an orphan, and, and you've lived in survival mode, it is very difficult to change gears. It's a whole different way of thinking. It takes a, a process, and so I called Tammy. I said, you know, how long... How long did it take your children 
to get out of the survival orphan mindset. And she said, she said, within six months, no one was hiding food anymore. She said, but as far as them completely leaving the orphan mindset, she said, each of them still has it in a, in a, it, to a certain measure. They're still fighting it. I had an encounter this week with a man that was so powerful. God just was all over this man and um, he, 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 he wanted to be right with God. He had felt God's lightnings. He called them God's lightnings coming to him and, and, but he couldn't, he couldn't make his way over. And I heard his story, and, and his story was very similar to me. I, we grew up in a faith that was very performance-oriented. It was all about performance, and if you didn't perform good enough, you were going to go to hell. And so that fear always was there. And I, he, had, he had already been shown the bridge illustration twice. He showed me two copies, but there were two... They were two, like, abbreviated versions. I said, I'm just going to show you the same thing, except we're going to do all the verses. We're going to lay out the whole thing and show what the plan is. And we got to the end, and, and there's one man at the door, and there's one man on the other side that's saying glory and, and is accepted in God and knows is accepted. I said, which one are you? He said, I so want to be that one, but I, I, I think I'm still this one. I said, well, let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's settle this thing. And I led him in a prayer, and I, I prayed for him because I know what has to happen inside of him is letting go of performance and being able to accept a gift prepared by a father who loves him, a gift way more expensive than he ever could have purchased by his own resource, and to just allow God to give it and say thank you. He prayed the prayer after me, and then I prayed for him, and I said, what do you think, bro? Do you think God heard that? With tears in his eyes, he said, he said, I know God heard. He said, I can't tell you how good I feel right now. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the end of it right there? And that he just walked out of there and walked as a favored son the rest of his life and just flowed just the one step. But I, I know that, that that attack will come. It was freedom, for freedom, that Christ set us free. Stand firm in that freedom and do not become enslaved again to a yoke of bondage. The, the yoke of the performance, the fear, the guilt-based living, all that, it threatens to come back. Why? It takes away your joy. It takes away your wonder. It takes away the surprise. It takes away the power of Christianity. It, it's all in this identity of favored sons and favored daughters made so by the gift of God. God just adopted us into his family. But I had something happen this week, and I'll end with this, and we'll have the 
worship team, come back. God, what about those people that are so confused in their identity that they are convinced that they're, that they're this and they can never become that? And of course, today we would think of gender identity because that's the, that's the big issue today. But I'm talking about the performance identity. Or, or the sexual identity, whatever that identity is. What about those people that have lived in the same rut so often and their mind is so fixed in it that they're just stuck there and they, it's just become so much part of their identity they just can't seem to get free? What about those people? How do they get free? Every Thanksgiving, we have this massive feast at uh, my brother Mike's house, and uh, everybody comes, and the in-laws and the outlaws, and everybody gathers, and um, and we all we all bring a dish to pass. And but the tradition is is my brother Jimmy and I do the dishes. We sing. We actually sing Christmas carols while we do the dishes, and every year, um, everybody else busses, and we, we, I, I'm usually the one that washes, Jimmy dries, and puts, and different people help putting away, and clearing, and, because it's a, it's a major project, and, but every year, what happens is, there's a whole bunch of dishes that are very easy to clean. There's, there's, we use the dishwasher. There's pans that are very easy to clean, but there's always this, this broaster, this turkey broaster that uh, honestly it's it, 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 it heated for so long and that oil greased it in so solid that you would become absolutely convinced that this is now this stain is now part of the pan and what happens is, inevitably, we want to get the pans done. We want to be done with it. And so I will sit there and get the scratcher and get the bigger scratcher and just scratch, 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 scratch. And no matter how much you scratch, actually, the more you scratch, the more convinced you are, this pan is ruined. Or maybe not ruined, it's deformed. It's this, the stain is now part of its identity. That stain's not coming out. We've learned something over the years. You take that pan, you put some hot water in it, put a little soap in it, and you just leave it for two hours. And that stain, which seemed like there was no way it could ever be moved, all of a sudden, it starts moving all of a sudden, it cleans back up and it's entirely restored. Here's what I felt like the Lord said. I am increasing my presence. I want to teach my people to bring their biggest stains to me and stop focusing on the stains and start soaking in my presence. Come and soak. 
Has anybody noticed that we're in a culture that's in a hurry? We're in a culture that, that is fast food and everything's fast, 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 fast. And you try to do that with your Christianity and you're going to con be convinced Christianity doesn't work, not for the deepest stance. Not for the deepest identity things that, you know, it just doesn't touch those. Jesus is saying, I I'm, going to I'm, going to, I'm going to increase my presence. I'm calling people to soak. Don't think about the stain. Don't <clears throat> just trust the stain to me and soak in my presence. And when the time is right, I'll say, now, now, get that scrub pad out now. And you and I will remove that stain and you will be free indeed. Amen. Could we have the worship team come back up? If we could have every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, I've, I want to I wanna pray for one group and then we're going to do something a little different at the end of the service. Maybe you're here today and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have been under the performance identity that your view of God is as a hard taskmaster that's waiting to judge, that is waiting for me to fall short, and you just haven't been able to get past that view of who he is. And today God has spoken to you. I am a holy God. I am a holy judge, but I am a loving father, and my heart is filled with generosity towards you. So much so that I came, I came, I died for you. So that I could give you my relationship, so that I could adopt you into my very family. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he'll come in. Perfect love stands before us knocking. Perfect love, the very love that died for stands at the door knocking. I have a gift for you. Open your door. Give me your bad performance. And let me give you my perfect righteousness. If that is you today, with every head bowed and eye closed, because this is between you and God, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? See that hand? God bless you. That hand. Jesus is knocking, and you want to open the door today. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray that prayer. I'm going to ask those that raise their hands to just put your hand over your heart. I see that hand in the back, too. God bless you, sir. Just put your hand over your heart and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for looking in my eyes today with pure love and saying, give me your bad performance. Lord, I give you right now all my sins, all my falling short. Right now, by faith, I open the door of my heart and say, Lord, I receive now your gift of righteousness.
your gift of adoption. Make me one of your own. And Father, I pray for those, even as I prayed for this man on Thursday, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you seal it? Would you, would you seal it by your Spirit in a way that they know, not because a man told them to pray a prayer, but because the Spirit testifies that you're a child of God. The Spirit caused us to cry, Abba, Daddy. Do that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? That's how we're going to end today. We're not going to have ministry teams. I'm not going to do a prayer over everybody. We're going to turn the lights down, and we're going to make the sanctuary just a, a place of soaking. I totally understand if you need to go right away. Certainly, if you have to get your kids, get your kids. But I'm just going to ask that conversations happen out in the foyer, not in the sanctuary. And that you'll just honor this time of, of, of soaking. Not just for sin that is stuck, but for that whole mindset that it's, it's, just, it's just hard to get it out of us. To just soak, to just soak in his love, to soak in his presence. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you invite us close to you and let our hearts come alive to favored sons and favored daughters and who you have revealed yourself to be in fullness. Open our hearts, I pray. I'm going to invite you to find a place of soaking. If it's come to the front and kneel, I'll be down here. If it's kneel where you are, if it's stand, but let's worship and soak.